You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everyone, to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of Scout, formerly of 24-7, formerly of Indians Prospect, then Baseball Insider, and many other places around the web over the years. We, I originally, this is take two on this podcast, uh, our sponsor at the start of the show today is Locker Room, a brand new app you can download on iOS and come chat with me in room. I gave it a whirl tonight. Uh, we had some difficulties with the scheduling and with the file recording, uh, but I did have someone hop in the room and it was an interesting experience. Come check it out. We are going to be doing it on Thursday evenings, probably around uh, 10 my time, so that's 11 Eastern, so I know that's later for others, but it's, you know, it's when we can fit it in. I might also try to make it, you know, as early as 1030, but uh, unfortunately that's about the earliest it can be. Uh, so yeah, it's, I'm curious to check out the features a little bit more. Uh, it's unfortunately only on iOS for now. We'll let you know if that changes. So you get a, a, a basically their rough draft of this podcast already. Let's get into it. Let's talk some news. Uh, let's start with the non-news news that the Indians would love to do an extension with, uh, Jose Ramirez, but he has been resistant. Of course he's resistant, you know. You go and just look at what what he's done offensively. The Indians signed him to the mother of all sweetheart deals. It's one of the maybe the best contract in baseball. They control him for the next three years. He's been an MVP candidate three of the last four years. Let's see. He will. He turned twenty eight. He'll turn twenty nine uh, this year. So Indians have him for his twenty nine, his thirty, and his age thirty one year. He can't hit free agency until after he's thirty one. And, you know, the, the five-year, $26 million contract, very, very cheap contract. The Indians are major beneficiaries. On the open market, he would get huge money. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, Paul Dolan's com- press conference in a little bit. They talked about, you know, Lindor being the face of the franchise. That's not the case. It's Jose Ramirez. He's the Indians' best player, bar none. That's not even debatable. Uh, so let's just talk about that press conference compared to recent years. You give this press conference an A plus, uh, no comments that made my blood boil for once. Nothing where you sit back and think, Oh, why would you do that? That is just, you know, I'm sure someone finally sat down and talked to him after the past few years and some of the cringe inducing comments about, you know, the best fans buy luxury boxes or, whatever that exactly was, and the enjoy him statement. They talked about the name. Uh, what's interesting with the name is that I want to get the exact quote in here. The real challenge is finding a name that works that we can use. There aren't many words in the English language that someone doesn't own in some shape or form, particularly in sports. That's a real challenge. For instance, uh, someone in New York plunked down and is sitting on the Cleveland Guardians name, so you can eliminate that. That's not going to be the Indians' new name. And... <laughs> Pretty much any name that we have, the spiders, any of these that we have discussed or rumored, someone is probably already sitting on those names and on those web spaces. And we've seen how the Cleveland Indians operate. They're not going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars 
to get the web space and the name and the rights to this and the rights to that. That's not going to happen. <laughs> We're going to end up with like the Cleveland, uh, you know, meerkats or something like that. A name that is not claimed somewhere that is, it, it's going to be a cheap name. Let's be honest. It, it, when we talk about names that are out there, unless like the person who's sitting on the New York, the uh, Cleveland Guardians in New York is going to give that to the Indians out of the kindness of their heart and a few autographed baseballs, that probably takes the Guardians out of the running for the name. And I don't think whoever, you know, put the trademark on that name did it to get a few baseballs. Let's let's be honest here. The fact that they made this announcement before knowing what the new name was going to be might have been the biggest miscue financially of the past few years. Because now they just have to sit back and find a name that they can afford. And that's that's going to be part of this process. It's something that I hadn't really thought about until that statement. Well, once that statement was out there, I was like, oh, they want a name that no one has claimed, that no one has ownership of, that no one is sitting on the website, trademarking and doing all of that stuff. So all of the names you have heard already, all of the names people are arguing about, none of those are the name. That's that's just the way this is going to work. I mean, to begin with, I was very cynical that when they announced this name change, the reason they announced it so far out, and I'll stand by it, is so that everyone out there who like hates the fact they're changing the name would go out and buy a bunch of merchandise just to get Indians while they could. So they would get a big bite of the apple. They get a lot of commercial revenue from the selling of uh, uniforms and jerseys from people who were afraid that it was going away. And then once they announced the new one, they would get a whole bunch of sales because it's A, new, and B, all the people who had been refusing to buy everything with the Indians and or Chief Wahoo on it. So it is, you know, I was very cynical from the beginning that I, I thought that they were trying to get two bites of the apple with this and with that specific announcement. But when you add in the statements, it really makes me think that uh, we have not in any of our discussions heard a name that uh, is what this team will be called in you know 2022 they said is the goal that's the other thing from that uh meeting he said maybe not until 2023 so this could be the indians for two more years uh because they don't want to be the generic baseball team was also another statement in that presser as it were the rest of it i don't know if there's anything too great in there again uh it was a lot less incendiary the fact that they couldn't afford a player like Lindor and that they're being picky and that it's a special and lucky situation to own 100% of a baseball team. Uh, I, I don't think that's true. I think they would gladly welcome a minority owner. Uh, a lot of teams have had a hard time finding minority owners. Uh, I know the Mets, it's part of the reason the Wilpons eventually just sold the whole organization. It's not an easy thing to do. And I think the way they're trying to make it runs counter to everything we have heard, at least in terms of the organization. And we know that, you know, Sherman owned 15 to 30% of the team. It was a not, it was a significant portion. So uh, that was the other statement that stood out. He said that being unable to afford Lindor, just kind of talking about being small market. Part of the reason that they have money woes right now uh, is a bad TV contract that, that they signed. They made a TV network and I'm blanking on what it was. I had articles appear over there on their website for that network. Uh, I remember as a young blogger, that was kind of a highlight actually. But they made a network for a year, maybe two. They sold that. 
at a low average rate, but the thing that never gets reported was that they also got $40 million, I believe, up front. So for as woe as me, they're getting the 20 million a year. It, it's, you know, it is a bad comparative contract, but again, it's a contract they chose to sign. But what doesn't get counted in was a big lump sum they got when they did that, that they made a lot of money right off the top when they uh, agreed to that sale. So I I hate the, the woe is small market stuff because they are spending below small market rates. They're spending below what we see traditionally. They are one of the lowest payrolls in all of baseball, which is Again, just a little bit ridiculous to me, and that's not to hate on the people that work there. That is just to be a bit annoyed at the situation with the Dolans. We have got some sponsors. Let's start with betonline.ag. We talk about them all the time as a sponsor. We occasionally I will use their betting lines just talking about, you know, 81 and a half wins. That's where the Indians are projected. If you are someone who does like to bet on sports or bet on award shows, reality TV, whatever you can imagine. Go check out Bet Online today. And remember that when you go to Bet Online, use that promo code locked on, you get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Just about anything you can imagine they have covered. Go check it out for yourself today. Remember that is Bet Online and when you use the promo code locked on, you get a 50% bonus. That's going to be the highest percentage you hear from any ad that we uh, read this year. No one's going over a 50% bonus on something. Go check it out for yourself today. And our other sponsor is Locker Room. This is the company I mentioned that we are uh, we're doing this special uh, interactivity. It is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Perfect for watch parties, debates, pregame, postgame breakdowns, reacting to news, share your experiences in the app. Uh, I'm still learning how to use it. Hopefully next week we'll have more people in the app so I can get more familiar with the tools. It is currently only on iOS, but there are plans to expand out. And like I said, I, right now is setting up to be Thursday evenings, probably around, like I said, maybe the earliest I can get is 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. And it's a chance to come on and chat with me in real time, ask questions, and then maybe hear your very own voice on this podcast right here. All you need to do is download the Locker Room app free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the league group. Follow me at JeffMLBDraft, just like the Twitter. Kept it easy. We'll be going live on Thursdays at, we'll say, 1030 Eastern. Lastly, remember to check out Locked On Today for all of your breaking news. In 20 minutes, find out everything that's happening. Maybe hear about Troy Hill to the Browns tomorrow. Go hear what uh, Peter Bukowski thinks on Locked On Today. So the last bit of news is a bit of sad news, in my opinion. That's that Carlos Carrasco has a torn uh, hamstring. Now, the cynical in the crowd will say this is why the Indians traded him. You know, this is a player who had a heart problem. Uh, not that it ever really affected him. The heart problem occurred, and that was right before he signed his first extension. Kind of uh, motivated him to sign one of the most team-friendly extensions ever. I mean, under that original extension, Carlos Carrasco was never going to make 10 million or more. He was strictly a seven-figure guy, which for his production was kind of amazing. Uh, then he was in trade talks and agreed to a second extension. Again, very team-friendly. Now, after that, he, he, you know, kicked cancer's ass, and I don't swear a lot, but, uh, you know, cancer, I'm, I'm going to swear when it involves something that evil, uh, and came back and was fantastic for the Indians last year. 
He is older. He has broken the 200-inning threshold once in his career. Uh, I think the other highest was like 190, 192. Uh, he's never been an innings eater, and that's just the way of it with him. But he's been a really productive pitcher for his entire career. I hope he comes back and is fine. Frankly, unless it's like a World Series or a must-win, even if the Indians are facing Carrasco, I'd probably still root for Carlos Carrasco. I just cookies up there with uh, Santana as some of my favorite Indians of the last decade. He consistently took team-friendly deals because he wanted to be here. And unfortunately, that made him an easy trade asset uh, down the line when they became afraid of like his 10-5 rights. So Carlos Carrasco, uh, I hope he gets healthy. He is very close. I think he needs 12 wins to get to 100, five starts to get to 200, and a little under 200 strikeouts to get to 1,500. So I'd love to see him hit all of those thresholds. Uh, I'm always going to be a Carrasco fan, ride and die with him. So earlier in the week, we started the the top 30 prospects list. And last player I talked about, Logan Allen, uh, the younger, the second, new Logan Allen, the player that every time I talked with an expert, they wanted to talk about him and how much they liked him. Now, I was noticing something when I was talking about this on the uh, the earlier pod. It is interesting that someone like Brian Levestita, who I was super high on a year ago, I had him 14th in system, is all the way down to 26 now. Some of this is he didn't get to play at all, and I don't have a whole lot of data, and that last year hurt someone like him who has not hit the upper uh, majors. Part of it is, go through the Indian system from a year ago. Who have they graduated or lost as I go through? Your first name is James Karinchak, graduated. Uh, Logan Allen, graduated. Luis Oviedo, taken in the Rule 5 draft. That's it. That's your list of players who graduated. That is three out of I had. My list last year went 31 deep. Gosh, go back to 918. <laughs> I, yeah, I was just looking at my 918 list. I'm like, Marco Gonzalez, that's a name. Henry Martinez snuck in at the back end. Wow, the times of it are changing. But uh, to go back, so they graduated three guys out. Now, from the draft, I have, you know, they had three high picks, and then PV Halpin was their third highest paid player. So that's all four of those guys make this list. From that San Diego trade, Cantillo, Miller, Arias, that's three more prospects, and now you're up to seven additions. Go to the Crasco trade, Crasco-Lindor trade, I guess to most that's the Lindor trade, two more. So then all of a sudden, your nine players have been added uh, since I made this list this time a year ago. And honestly, since I made the other list, also the Corey Kluber trade happened, so that gives you class A, so that's 10 players. Uh, who have been added to the Indians organization since I created my my previous list. So that's that's a significant shift. So three out, 10 in. That's why Levestita is a little bit lower. There are some guys who made huge jumps. Uh, Aaron Braccio, one of those guys I talked about earlier on the show, he didn't make the last one because he didn't qualify under my old rules. Um, I, I had enough now that I could fold him in and then there's just a lot of other players but let's just let's dive in so at 15 uh we said was allen so 16 sam henkes i think he's likely a reliever he's more of a two-pitch guy the reason he is and he's the the highest player who i think is likely a reliever on this list 
where the, you know, I, I talked about how I think Espino and McKenzie have a good chance of being a reliever, but they also have a good chance of still being a starter. I think it is a low percentage that Henkes ends up developing that third pitch enough to be a starter. That is why he is here. But I think he could be like how Chris Davinsky was at his peak, that multi-inning weapon out of the pen. That's why I'm very high on him. That's why I have him as the highest reliever in system. Next up, Lenny Torres. So Torres got hurt. So he missed all of... Torres basically hasn't had a chance to pitch uh, since he's been drafted, unfortunately. He was taken that same year as Ethan Hankins, I want to say. And while Hankins got up to low A, uh, Torres got hurt. And then he was a raw pitcher to begin with. Very quick arm. Fastball slide. There are people who have him in their top 10 prospects. But the situation last year meant last season was lost and the season before that was lost. And as I stated, he was raw. So it's it's an arm where they could take their time, and they probably will because the Indians have no problems taking their time, and there's a chance for a starter there. Uh, but should be no worse than a great reliever. Such a quick arm on him. The athleticism. The, like I said, there are people who are extremely high on Lenny Torres. Emmanuel Classe, highest no-chance starter. He is a pen arm all the way. He's already in that role. Special stuff. I'm just not as high on pen arms. Uh, some control concerns as well. Tanner Burns next. Tanner Burns is fascinating because he was great in the SEC for multiple years. He is has great control numbers, which is, we know, something where the Indians look at that, and they do well with those types of arms. At the same time, he wore down. Almost every season that he had a full season to pitch, he wore down as the year went on. That is what the Indians can fix. They are great at making players stronger, working at biomechanics and everything else. Burns could be a player that, if his stuff jumps a little, and he could fly up this list. Very good pitcher already. Solid, look like maybe an upside of a three, downside of a five. If the Indians can break through with him a bit, there's a chance for a two. Uh, That's just with the, the special Indians black magic that they do. But a very solid pitcher has the low floor where there are a lot of people who thought just move him to the pen because he wears down and let him fling it. He can start to have some velocity and just let him go there. Carson Tucker, completely unscientific, but I always feel like younger brothers end up doing better than older brothers when it comes to baseball. Uh, I'm sure those people have plenty of examples of the opposite, but that is just like in my head. His brother Cole is more famous for who he's dated than what he's done on the diamond. You can go Google that for yourself. We'll see if he can turn into an everyday player. It hasn't come together yet. Carson was drafted high by the Indians because he had the everyone and their mother knew he was signing well under slot. The Indians used those savings to go get Petey Halpin. Was Carson Tucker one of the top 30 players in the draft? Not anywhere I saw. The Indians drafted him in the top, what, 25, maybe 26th? I can't remember exactly where to save that money to go use on other players. Not to be cheap, but to spread it around a bit. He is very much in the Indians' mold. A good hit tool, solid defender. One of those players who kept rising through the process, even though it wasn't the typical process. But very, I I don't see a high ceiling, but a very good chance at a a utility type or a potential starter at shortstop or second in many years down the road. Cody Morris. Morris is one of those guys in a full season. I feel like he could have been much, much higher on this list. 
South Carolina, I want to say, kept adding velocity, kept pitching better and better and better in the minors. Every person I talked to kind of mentioned him as a sleeper. You just go, I mean, yeah, you can get stuck with his 2019 ERA in high A, but his FIP at both levels is fantastic. He kind of got um, hosed a bit, but strikeout rates over 12, walk rate of 2 in low A, 348 in high A. He just needs more innings. Uh, He looked like an emerging arm for the Cleveland Indians. He's a guy who could easily end up in their top 10 prospects because he's a big guy, big build, good fastball, has all the starter traits you could want. Was a day, no, he was a seventh round pick, so a day two selection, but was outperforming that for sure so far as a Cleveland Indian. Petey Halpin next. I called Petey Halpin on draft day the poor man's P. Crow Armstrong because he can do a bit of everything. And if he has fives across the board in center field, he's a potential all-star. The Indians paid him like a late first-round pick, so they believe in him. Uh, Daniel Johnson and George Valera, the only prospects in the outfield I have rated higher. I don't know if he's necessarily a star or a guy who's going to get people excited, but I do think he can... I do think? I think he can do a bit of everything. Uh, you know, uh, jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type in the outfield. I like the profile. He's a borderline top 50 prospect. I, the grade between him and Carson Tucker was almost the same for me, and they got helping in the third round. So I really like that selection for the Indians. And before we finish this list off, let's take a quick break from our sponsors. So let's just forget about the March Madness. Churro Puffs are launching in less than an hour, people. Get on this. I am tempted to order. They're bringing everything back. I got an email. The Coconut Brownie, which is fantastic, is returning. They're doing so many things right now. If you're curious about the matchup, it's Cookie Dough Chunk. I just got mine today. My order came and is sitting here next to me. Uh, I quite enjoy the Cookie Dough Chunk. It is going up against Salted Caramel, another strong flavor. I'm giving Cookie Dough Chunk the edge. My selection of Coconut Puff did win yesterday over Peanut Butter. It's on a, I think I've gotten the last three right in a row, so we'll see. Uh, one of the other matchups has cookies and cream versus coconut almond. I also got cookies and cream in my box. When you go to Built Bar today, use that promo code LOCKEDON20. 20% off is the best deal you'll find anywhere on their products. I love it. I shop there consistently. I am probably going to end up ordering the churro puffs. Uh, and again, they're going to have a whole thing where they're bringing it all back. So you want to check out, get on that mailing list like me. So you can find out when those best high-end flavors are coming back in. The ones that uh, I I know and love. And Coconut Brownie. Man, that is a favorite amongst all the hosts. Go to Bill Bar today. Use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll thank me for it. Or, I'm sorry, use the promo code LOCKEDON20 and you'll thank me for it. BillBar.com. Check out Locked On MLB Prospects. If you want to hear more prospects talks, talks, no, talk, go listen to our buddy Aram. You know, we had him on the show. We'll have him on again soon. Uh, Aram and I had a lot of fun. We uh, chat in each other's mentions, well, not mentions, in our DMs about things. So go check out Aram and the Locked On MLB Prospect show. So let's, uh, let's return to talking prospects. You know, I guess that's good timing, right? Hyping, uh, arm show and then talking prospects so our next player is josh wolf uh might surprise some people i know he's like the 11th or 12th on the list over at mlb and 
like I understand why some people like him, but at the same time, I have a hard. I don't know how you put him that high. He has not pitched all that high in the minors. He is a two pitch guy as of now. Yes, he was a high draft pick, and sometimes we are all guilty of over. Like if you go to my list from last year, I have Jordis Valdez in the top twenty, and that's ridiculous that I did that because he was pretty awful once he was drafted. Uh, there's no reason to put him that high as a defensive only type. And, you know, that's on me. And sometimes I feel like someone like Josh Wolf gets a little bit overrated because we sit back and, and put someone super high on a list because uh, he was a, a second round pick and he's got good stuff. But we just haven't seen anywhere near enough in an organization like this for me to really feel comfortable putting him anywhere before the 20s like he's a two-pitch guy with some command issues who's not left rookie ball yet I want to say it's you're putting a lot of projection there uh he is and and I don't know in any world that you put him above Lenny Torres like Lenny Torres is is a similar guy Torres has the better stuff um maybe I'm being unfair here but I mean he's I I am very strongly in the belief that that is a really, he's a reliever all the way. I think he could be a good reliever, but I think he is definitely a reliever in the future for the uh, Cleveland Indians. Uh, and I'm going to butcher Nick Mikulajak. Now he is a guy, when I sat down to start this list, was not really amongst my names. Then you start digging into the reports on him and you see what has changed recently with him. And you go, okay, so I need to talk about this pitcher from Sam Houston, who was a day three pick uh, a few years ago, back in 2019, 11th round pick. I mentioned, you know, the 11th round is always a valued round. It's a targeted round. You get a chance. It's a player you're pretty sure you're going to sign. You've talked with the agent and you've laid all the groundwork. I don't think the Indians have failed to sign an 11th round pick since they've started drafting players. And they've often, like Adam Plutko was an 11th round pick where they saved money in the earlier parts of the draft to make sure they could sign him at that pick. It's often an overslot area for the Indians. He was 90, low 90. And then this fall, it was like 98, 99. Uh, It was kind of crazy. By the time, or I'm sorry, not fall, it was the instructs, but... There's a lot of, basically everything was good. Velocity was up. Spin was up. His control looked good. His command was solid. He looked like an entirely different pitcher. Um, it's still a chance for a starter there. A lot of people think he could be a reliever just because he'll move through the system quicker. But he is uh, he is a guy right now who is on the tip of every tongue if you are someone who follows the Indians, minor leagues in depth. And honestly... I think I want to flip these last two. Yeah, like Mikla Jack should be ahead of Josh Wolf. I, I, I'm doing it now in my uh, in my little Google sheet because there's a chance he can still start, and the stuff is every bit as good. And I'm falling into the whole like Wolf's a big name thing over, you know, and that's the only reason he's higher on this list. So they're getting flipped. Uh, next up, Isaiah Green. Green is was a second round pick who was under slot, but is getting treated like he was not under slot. High ceiling, high lotto ticket. He could have a lot of sixes on his board. 
he could have a lot of threes on his board. I, I he's, you know, a really interesting prospect. Will he hit enough? I don't know. Will he have power? I don't know. Can he play anything? You know, if it doesn't work in center, can he play right? I don't think so. Uh, you're hoping development will get there, and that all of a sudden maybe he'll be plus run, plus power, average hit, and that's a potential star, and that's what the Indians are banking on. Uh, you know, I had him significantly below guys like Halpin and Tucker. He was not as high for me as he was for others. That's just uh, how I feel about him. And I know there were swing concerns as well, which I, the Indians have not had success with players with swing concerns. Like that is just Will Benson. End of story. <laughs> Next up on my list, Brian Levestita. You know, I'm flipping Wolf and Levestita as I'm speaking now because, you know, I like Levestita more. You know, this is the problem when I laid this out. I even talking about it twice is making me realize just a few things in my mind. Levestita, what he showed a year ago when he got the opportunity is that he's constantly improving behind the plate, constantly improving while putting up good numbers relative to his age. Uh, the numbers across the board for him were really nice looking. This is, was he, he was a 15th round pick. So not the, uh, the high, you know, a relatively high, those first 15, they, the Indians often sign, but just going into his data last, uh, in 2019, 165 WRC plus 10% walk rate, uh, 11% strikeout rate, high bat pips, which you should know why those are important. If you listen to the show by now. Everything was good with an emerging uh, average, maybe above average defensive profile, probably closer to average. Uh, there's a lot to like. And he is, after Bo Naylor, the top catching prospect in this organization. And I don't think it's particularly close uh, in terms of anyone coming after those two. Carlos Vargas, not necessarily my guy. I can respect the reports, I can respect the stuff. I am always really concerned, though, when the stuff is that good and the production doesn't quite match the stuff. Uh, Just here, based on some people adore him. I mean, there are people who have him, like, 12th in system, 13th in system, 11th in system. I haven't seen anyone push him in the top 10 because the performance hasn't been there to back it up. Makes it here because the stuff is good enough to compete with just about anyone in system. Hunter Gaddis is... He's kind of like Cody Morris. Like, I think if we had had a full season, we'd be hearing a lot more on Hunter Gaddis. He looked really good in his opportunities after being drafted. We'll have to, like I said, we'll just have to kind of sit back and see what happens with him. If he continue to make the steps forward that a lot of people kind of expect him to make. Uh, he's just, you know, he was, I'm trying to remember, was he Georgia Southern? He was a small school guy who looked really good in the Cape and did not have a great junior year. And you're just, let's see, fifth round pick. Sorry. I know everyone loves it when I do research live on the show. Uh, Georgia State. And, you know, it's the changeup is the pitch that he has. And we'll have to see if there's enough there to be a starter, but I probably a reliever. Could be a reliever in the same type of role like uh like Henkes, one of those guys who's multi-inning and just where we are and where we're talking in this class it's like 
you know, it, Jose Fermin would have probably been around here. Raymond Burgos is someone else I like kind of in this range. Uh, you know, I, I am pulling out and not looking at some of the guys who have not uh, played stateside or not played outside rookie ball with this team. So that also changes kind of how my list is set up compared to some other places. Scott Moss. I mean, I just think he's a likely sixth arm on a team. I don't know if he's ever going to quite be enough to be a, a fifth starter, but I think there are teams right now he'd be the fifth starter for. And there's value in that. Even if it's a very low ceiling, like borderline major league talent, there's value in that when it's a left-handed pitcher. And then Trevor Steffian, I'm curious to see what the Indians can do in terms of his development. Former second round pick, went to the Yankees, whose pitching developmental history hasn't been great of late. And there's a lot to like in terms of the profile. And if the Indians can kind of straighten him out, figure him out, uh, I think he's an interesting arm for them to work on. Likely a reliever at this point going forward, but I think he's a good addition to the Cleveland Indians. I'm going to end this on one more kind of fun fact as I was looking at bold predictions for the Cleveland Indians. I don't know how many fans realize this out there, but uh, Andres Jimenez last year had a higher runs created plus than Francisco Lindor. So while we are all doom and gloom, and not to say that Jimenez is better than Lindor, but I'm saying based on the production we got a year ago, the Indians are going to be able to hopefully reproduce that similar level of production this year. And with this really deep minor league system, they're setting themselves up to, even if players stumble, they are under such a 40-man crush, trades have to come. I don't know for who, I don't know for what. I'd have to spend some time looking at teams that are bad, trying to find a team who has a pre-arbitrary, you know, Anthony Santander. <laughs> if Santander really hits again, could the Indians revisit the idea of trading for him? Maybe. Uh, if they're going to play Naylor in the outfield, they're obviously going to punt some defense there anyways. And if the first base platoon doesn't work out, well, you know, they could go look at someone like that. Uh, maybe a Trey Mancini if they still need a first baseman and he comes out and hits well. They are in a situation where if they stand pat, they're going to lose. They're going to lose like three players in the Rule Five next year. That's how much they have to add with a roster that doesn't have a lot of talent coming off of it. So I'm very curious to see what this team is going to do. It's a fun sub story to keep in the back of your mind as we talk about the Indians this season. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Indians podcast. Remember to rate, listen, download daily. Get a friend involved as well. Let's get those numbers up and get us into the top 10 on the Lockdown Baseball Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft, though I will admit I've not been the most active on there of late outside of my spring training rants. Thank everyone, though, who does interact with me on there, and I get back to everyone eventually in time. Uh, and for the next year, maybe two, we found out today, at least, go Tribe.